0: that praise is a part of who you are and as a result is what you do see as a part of what you do you get up every morning and you eat something or you look forward to having something even if you may not be able to eat it at that time uh, uh, part of who you are part of your routine is that you nourish yourself part of who you are is that you refresh you wash yourself Part of who you are is you may entertain yourself. See, for the believer, part of who we are should be our response to who God is, and that's praise. It's not conjured up. It's not not something that someone makes us do. And if we get the right key and if it's in the right phrase and the right notes and if they play in my jam, if they, if they have the right song, then I'll get it on. No, praise is a part of me. I did it on my way here and I did it when I got here and I do it when I leave here because it's a part of who I am. And so this morning, I'm hoping that that song has sparked in you, has spurred in you something that God wants to be happening all the time, and that's praise. Praise is our response to seeing who God is. And if we don't have a praise, it's probably because we are not seeing correctly. If we can actually say, I don't have anything to praise God for, you're missing praise. Praise is not in response to what you get. Praise is in response to what you see. Because it is speaking well of, not just because he gives good gifts, but because he is good. And we see that. Amen? This morning, we're going to get into our word. We're We're going to toggle between two scriptures. Um. Curtis and his team, they were going to share this morning with the Navajo, and we are going to have it next week, my brother, and we're going to make sure that we have the time for it, and we have the people for it as well. We were going to be able to share. I just really felt that we had needed, as we started off, I know last week we started off with our brother Kenny blessing us, with our elder, throwing down on the word of God. Thank you, brother. Um, I heard that you bless God's people from Ephesians, and and, and so... Um, but I wanted us, as we really got into this Christmas season, I really felt to share with us, really to temper our hearts as to, as to how we walk into this time, um, um, that, that this year can be different, not because we wear different clothes or, or we do something novel, but because who we are is with a greater purpose and with a greater passion for Christ and how we engage our world, how we, how we meet them on. When Jesus entered the world, it was one of the most tumultuous times for that culture, for those people. When Jesus entered the world, there was a lot going on, and it wasn't good. There was a whole lot happening. It seems like it would have been the wrong time to have him enter, but it was exactly the right time to have him entered. As a matter of fact, we get in Scripture that it says that at the right time, Hebrews says God sent his son. And that word right means at the appropriate or at the appointed time. God put Jesus into this world physically right when he had purposed and planned for him, to. And it seems like it was in the middle of chaos, but that's exactly what Jesus does. He comes into chaos and brings order in it. And so this morning... And over the next couple weeks, as we journey to Christmas, instead of doing Advent, we've done that in the last few years. Each Sunday, we had a different theme. I want us to look at over the next three Sundays, we're going to look at the prophecy this week and the fulfillment, or really the fulfillment of prophecy of the Savior and God keeping his promise. God is a God who keeps his promises. And even in the genealogies and in the, in the announcement made about Christ coming, and we hear it all the time, and it may become mundane and rote that this time of year you hear the story, but what I want us to see is that God keeps his promises. And if he can keep it to all of humanity in bringing about his Christ, he can surely keep it to you and I in the individual areas and things in our life. So we want to look at, at the at the prophecy fulfilled of the Savior. Next week, I wanna look at the parents of the Savior. Why God chose them. It's interesting that what we see in them. I mean, he chose ultimately because that's what he wanted, but, but to take a look at this family that he brought his son into. And then we want to look at, on that Christmas Sunday, as we'll call it, we want to look at the arrival of the Savior. So the prophecy fulfilled, the parents, couldn't find a nice P, I don't need to, the arrival of the Savior. And we say PPA, if it helps you to remember. But in that, in us looking at that, to focus our mind on God's intent and his plan around the most exciting time. The only other exciting time after that was at the, the, the death, burial, and resurrection of his son. But in order for him to die, he must have been born. I've heard people debate which one is more important, the birth or the resurrection. I don't get into those debates. I'm glad they both happened. And if one did not happen, then we in trouble. Because if he wasn't born, he wouldn't die Uh, for humanity as a human. And if all he was was born and never died, we're still lost and in our sins. And so we need both bookends. We need the birth and we need the death and the resurrection. And so we're glad God's plan included both. But here's what I want you to see in all of this as well. Over these weeks, this week, next week, and the week following, can I have you to look at the sovereign hand of God? I want you to see this because this is important for us that what you see is God imposing his will at any time and moments in time in human history. God is doing what he wants, even when it looks like he's not, even when it looks like he's losing, even when it looks like his plan is being overwhelmed and overrun. I want us to see that. Why? Because as you and I, Seek to live out our faith in Christ for those who are Christ followers. As we seek to live out our faith, one of the things that we're going to be faced with all the time is what is God doing? Is, is this in His will? Is, is He pulling off His plan? And what we'll see through Scripture, God is always pulling off His plan. The question is will we be a part of it? That's the question. See, God's going to do what He wants. My question is, will he be able to use you in it? See, I want to be part of his plan. I don't want to question if he can pull it off. And he's proven that through the many instances in Scripture. The question is, will I be a part of it? And so can you stand for the reading of his word? We're going to read what's in the Scripture in Luke, and then we're going to go over for just a little bit in Matthew chapter 1 so you can hold your finger in Luke chapter 1. Let's read together. It says Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 33. If you want to read in your Bibles, if you want to read along with us, it's in the center fold of your bulletin. Let's read together. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Amen. Father, I pray that you would enlighten our minds, that we may see and hear and understand where you are taking us this morning. We ask this in Christ's name and thank you. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. As we see in that one, as I said, God's fulfillment of his word in his promise. God's fulfillment of his word in his promise. The announcement of the birth of Christ is what I wrote was climactic, fulfilling, and revealing all at once in this announcement of it. God was bringing about his plan that he accomplished through the ages and even through the mess that humanity had made. I just put, he keeps his word. God keeps his word. So as we look at that text in Luke, we see here that, and I love how it starts off, we see in that, um, in that text that God sent. It says, in the sixth month, because if you read back, you would see that it starts off, Luke begins with him telling the story of John the Baptizer, also known as John the Baptist, John's birth, and that, and that how he, his birth was announced, because he would be the forerunner, the one who would come before Christ. And so his birth was announced in great fashion. Uh, but then we see six months later, in the six months, six months later, we see now that God's sin is important, that if you back up on that story of, of, of John's birth, what you, what you see is that his father, Zechariah, doubted. His father um, could not quite understand what he was seeing and hearing. First of all, I wish I could have pulled it off because I would have scared half of you, is that Zechariah was a priest, and the priest, every so often they had their turn that they would go into the temple and would burn the incense as they were supposed to. And so when his time came, it says that he drew lots. Every time you see that inscription, he's drawing God sovereignly. I, that's amazing. God sovereignly made sure that he chose the lot, or that the lot chose him, because he wanted him there at that time. And so Zechariah goes in. Zechariah goes in, and and he's performing his ritual. And and Luke being who he is, is specific. Luke likes to give you all the good details as a good doctor would. And so Luke, Luke says, and then appeared, which means suddenly, it, it, it was just a, he didn't walk in, he didn't sneak in quietly. It said, appeared, there appeared an angel of the Lord. And he got even more specific on the right side of the table where they were burning incense. And so Luke was burning incense, and then there appeared, because there should have been no one else in that place, I mean, but Zechariah, disappeared. And so he's standing there, and he appears, and the scripture says he was troubled. Now understand that trouble means he was disturbed greatly. He was distressed inside, like any one of us would have been, in that you are standing there in a room that you know you are alone in, and no one else should be in there with you. And that all of a sudden, this being appears on the table to the right where you are standing, and so he says he was troubled. Of course he was. And then that being started speaking and gave this announcement. The thing I love most, he says, is that the Lord has heard your prayer and and, and is answering it. The Lord is answering your prayer. Gotta stop there for a second. This is not in any of the scripture earlier. This is all getting to the point. When I read this, my first response, now remember, John and his wife Elizabeth were from great lineage. His wife was of the house of Aaron. And he was of the line of priests. And so these were, and it says, the scripture says that they upheld the scriptures. They upheld the law. With, with, with great obedience. They were righteous. They were this godly couple. And it says, but they had no children because Elizabeth was barren. And you can almost see the shame. Here they were. They lived their life for God in the way that he said. And it seems like the bottom still fell out. How many of you know sometimes you can be living exactly as God wants you to And difficult times still come. Don't buy into the lie that because you chose to live for Christ, everything is supposed to work out for you. It doesn't happen that way. When you read through scripture, you see, more often than not, you see that righteous people have difficult times. You don't believe me? I got a book for you. Job. Righteous in his ways. As a matter of fact, God bragged on him. When God brags on your life, it must be a good one. I usually tell people, he's the one that started that whole thing before Satan. Because he goes to Satan and says, have you noticed my servant Job? I was like, yo, God, shh. (laughs) Say nothing to him. God knew exactly what he was doing. And what did Job, I mean, what did did Satan say? Yeah, that's because you got the hedge around him. All that protection, he got to take that away and find out what happened. God said, I got you on that one. That's why I said it. I'm going to snatch it. You want a leash, but go ahead. But here, what we see in that is the righteous suffer. And so Zechariah and Elizabeth were struggling. And he says, God has answered your prayer. I'm sorry. As you read the scripture, it says that they were now advanced in years and they had no children. You know that meant? That prayer probably stopped. He probably prayed that prayer about 20 years prior, maybe 30. And for all of us who think that God answers slowly, boy, how about that? God has answered your prayer. I'm sorry. If I was Zachariah, I would have been... A little late, aren't you? God says, no. God, he says, so God has answered your prayer. Zechariah doubted, like many of us, let's not throw him under the bus like many of us would have. Why didn't you come about 20 years earlier when I could have done something about this? Why didn't you come when 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 it would have been more feasible? How is that going to happen? And for all of us that God decides to answer 20 years later what we thought we needed 20 years prior, we get mad at God and we don't believe him. Oh, okay. Yeah, really, Lord. And so God had to keep him quiet. Yeah, you can't talk until this boy is born. But in the process, it says, remember, when he didn't believe, he says, how am I going to know that this is true? First of all, this dude just appeared in the room. That should have you in on something, Zachariah. Then he told you something that was near and dear to you. God is answering your prayers and your wife shall bear a son. I didn't say anything about that. I don't know who you are. And you're telling me things about my prayer life that only God would probably know. And then in the next, it says, and, and, and then he says, okay, let me help you out. And I love this. He says, I am Gabriel. I'm just like, well, understand that Gabriel is that archangel. He is that angel that always proclaims and announces God. That is his chief messenger. His chief warring angel, of course, is Michael. You want to fight. You want Michael on your side. Love it. I was like, boy, God, can you just send Michael? I'm getting ready to get into a brawl. Come on, y'all know you always got that one dude, that one girl, that when you were in your crazy days and you were going to fight, you wanted that one person with you because you knew they were going to throw down well. We call them ride or dies. come on. And so Gabriel was that announcer. He says, I am Gabriel. And he says, and I stand in the presence of the Lord. Two things. So, so let me help you. Since you doubt God, I'm Gabriel. You'll understand who I am in history. And he says, I'm not just any angel. He says, I stand before the Lord right with him. And he sent me to bring this good news to you. And so that probably, wow, he was like, wow. He says, but you ain't believed, so I can't have you talking. And now we get in the sixth month, we get these months later, it's specifically God sent the angel Gabriel to a woman betrothed to be married in the, in the area of Galilee in the city of Nazareth. Now we get that same intensity, that same angel who stands in the presence of the Lord, his chief messenger, he sends him to this unknown young girl who was in the process of married, And so in essence, Joseph had already claimed her as his own. That was the process of it. It took about a year, sometimes a little longer, for the betrothal process to happen. And that normally happened. Girls were normally around, and don't get, don't get all twisted today, different day and age, different culture. Girls were around 12 or 13 years old when they were betrothed to be married at that time. And so she was in that process already and was his. It was just going, they had not lived together yet, and they had not. Slept together yet, because that was part of the process. And God comes down and has news for her as well. And we'll get to her in just a moment. But before we do, and as we set that up, I want to back up to God fulfilling his word through the genealogy. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. And, and, and I'm going to, <clears throat> they're going to put it up. And I'm going to read through parts of it. I'm not reading through all of it. You can read through that on your time. Genealogies, we normally pass through. We pass by. We see them as unimportant. And usually if you're trying to, genealogies were not the way to try and introduce an important figure unless you were trying to tie that figure to something in the past that was very important. And so Matthew starts out and says the genealogy of Jesus, he says, the son of David. And what Matthew was doing is in those who would first read his account, his gospel, he was tying this genealogy of Jesus through the years to God's promise of a Savior from the line of David. And I know for some of you astute folks that like to read, if you read Matthew's genealogy and you read Luke's genealogy, you go, hold on a second, something's not jiving because you see in the descendancy line, one deals with the son Nathan as a descendant, and the other one deals with the son Solomon as a descendant. It was like, Hold on a second. Well, who's? No, no. You have to understand their point. Luke was interested in the bloodline descendancy. Matthew was interested in the succession to the throne descendancy. And so neither one, he was, he was telling the story from Abraham when the promise happened all the way through to the promise being fulfilled. Luke starts all the way back at Adam and takes you through. And what were they trying to do? They They were showing you different parts of God's redemptive plan. Luke was taking you from the very beginning. Matthew says, I'm just going to deal with the promise of a Savior from the line of David. And it's interesting, he does skip some. He doesn't give you a neat genealogy. If you look at Matthew and you read through it, it says at the end, verse 17, he says, there were 14 generations from from Abraham to David, from David to the exile, and in the exile to Jesus. There are actually more, but in his story, what he was telling you, he was directing you that Jesus is from the house of David. Oh, The right one understands this too, as we've studied and looked at this. The 14 generations really also deal with the the numerical value ascribed to David's name, and when you look at that, the 14, 14, and that there were numerical values placed, and it meant something in Jewish culture. You have to understand that. And so, what Matthew was doing with the name of with the generations was in accordance with David's name, and what he was saying is that Jesus is from. The throne of, I mean, is, is now back on the throne where God said he would promise to have someone from the house of David on the throne forever. And so what he was telling you is that from the promised 14 generations, everyone, that he focused on to David. And then from David to the exile, understand at the exile after David um, and and when they were carried off into Babylon in the exile, there would never be another king at that particular time that was sent on the throne from the house of David until Jesus entered God keeping his promise. Remember, they were taken into exile. They were taken away because of their sin. And even in their mess, God was still at work. Can I tell someone, I know you thought you just blew it all up. It's all over and messed up. Yes, you, you might be dealing with the consequences of your sin, but God knows how to work out his plan for your life in, regardless of your sin. God knows how to get you to where he needs you to be regardless of your mess up. What he is showing us in the genealogy, in the story of Jesus is that humanity can't mess up enough to mess with his plan. Now, you may face the consequences of your choices, but you're not messing up God's plan. You're not stopping what he wants to do. You can even exclude yourself some from it. And if God still wants you a part of it, you may be a part on the wrong side of it but he is still going to accomplish how and what he wants to do. And for someone this morning, I want you to get that. You have not messed up enough for God to be done with you. And so we get into genealogy, but we also get into genealogy. God deals with those that others discount. You get what you don't normally get in a genealogy. If you are going to use a genealogy, if you're going to use it, you do not include women in it back in that time. Don't get all twisted. Today we would. But back then they did not. And you surely don't include these four women that they included. (laughs) When you look at the account, you see Tamar as one. Just in case you forgot, Tamar was the one that disguised herself and ended up sleeping with her father-in-law because he would not give in the leveret tradition of giving one of the other sons. Her husband died, and so he was to give one of the other sons to be her husband so that she can bear children. And Judah, her father-in-law, didn't do that. And so she devised a plan that she would dress up as a prostitute and would get him to go to bed with her, which is what happened. And so he did. You use her in your genealogy? And if that wasn't enough, then he includes Rahab, who ran a brothel. But she had enough sense when she saw the men of God, when she saw the people of God come, that she believed in their God and that God was going to do something. And she hid the spies when the enemy came looking for them. And because of that, God allowed her to be included. From her lineage came Boaz. Now remember, Rahab was a Gentile, and from her lineage came Boaz, whom God used to connect with a young Moabite. If you don't understand the relation with Israel and Moab, you're missing something. They were not friends at all. As a matter of fact, they were told to stay away from them because of their idol-worshiping sinful practices as a way of life. And so here it is Naomi and her husband take their family over into Moab because of the famine that was happening. And and there, all the men die, which means all of her protection, all of her identity, all of her finance, economically, everything ended when her husband and all her sons died. And she was left with two Moabite women. And one was there because they felt they had to. One was there because they wanted to. And she let them both go and one said, I'm not leaving. My God will be your God. You know, I mean, sorry, your God is my God. Your people, my people. I'm staying. Don't make me leave. And that was Ruth. And Ruth came back. And as we know, Ruth became wedded to Boaz. But then he also includes Bathsheba. Remember, Bathsheba was the one who was married to Uriah the Hittite, who was also a part of David's army, but he was a Hittite, was not an Israelite. And as a matter of fact, Matthew includes that. He says, Bathsheba, Uriah's wife. You know what that reminds everyone of when they read that? The fact that King David had her husband killed so that he can get with her. In the genealogy of the Savior, you would include that? You would if you were telling people your mess doesn't mess me up. Your foolishness doesn't stop me. Your sin doesn't cost my cause what I'm doing to cease. Oh, it may cause you some pain and you may go through some stuff. David did. But let me tell you, you don't stop what I'm doing. And I love this picture, and he is telling you and I, man, he says, look at what I can do redemptively with the the world that's out here. I know some of us go, look at the hand I've been dealt. God says, I redeem messes well. It says, look at how my life has been. Look at at what I haven't gotten. Look at what has been stacked against me, God says. You want to see stacked against me? Let me take you back to the genealogy. Let me take you back to, I'll even start with Abraham. And the many times that he blew it as God was walking with him through history. And then we'll take you to every person that God used. There was a point in time where they blew it. The only one that did not was his Savior when he was fulfilling his promise and his prophecy. The only perfect one who came to die for men and women. He said, that's, you know, other than that, we do it. I mean, I'm sorry, we blew it. I was thinking the song that we just sang, just sang, praise is what I do. We could also have our own song, blowing it is what I do. We all can. Because that would be every last one of us. And God says, I still redeem. I still bring something good out of it. And my question becomes for us, are we going to let God redeem our situation in our lives or are we going to make excuses acting as if God doesn't know how to handle your mistake? If God can take what Tamar did... And use it in the lineage of of Jesus. And he can take what Rahab did. And let me go back. If he can take what Judah did, because Judah's the one that was with Tamar. And so then if he could take Rahab, and if he could take Ruth, and if he can take Bathsheba, if he he could do all that and still end up with Savior of the world, what can he do in your life and mine? My problem seems tiny compared to what he's doing here. And so the genealogy lets us know, wow, God is at work. But then the second one is God worked strongly to culminate his plan. And I said John's announcement and then the announcement of Jesus were both miraculous, but they were also a reminder for us about where God was going with this. The fact that he chose Galilee, which would be despised, it would be our version of city folk saying, you're going you to go to them old country folk? You're going to go out in the middle of nowhere? You're going to go 100 miles from nowhere to find them folk? But then in Galilee, you choose Nazareth, the hood. That's how, look, that's how it was looked at. When they made the comment, can anything good come out of Nazareth? You name your part of your city. For me, growing up in Brooklyn, it was, can anything good come out of Best stuy And you put in whatever part of your city has been totally despised and discounted. And that was Nazareth. And so he says, he goes to Galilee To the town of Nazareth, to a young lady who was getting ready, who was in the process of being married, and he interrupts her world. God works strongly, but God also works with the marginalized and those that are out of the way. He has done that all throughout redemptive history. Why do we still seek the elite? Oh my gosh, he does that. We see it over and over. The elite reject him most times until it is made more clearly known to them. Not saying that the elite is evil. He's not saying that at all. We're all evil. But the marginalized and the broken know they are marginalized and broken and they they lack value. And who does God come to He comes to this girl that no one would even think or know about. First of all, God comes for his forerunner to a woman that although living righteously has been shamed, I'm sure, and is serving broken. KB and I talked about that this week. Serving while broken. See, we don't serve as these perfect people. We serve as people that are broken in many ways, broken by our past decisions, maybe broken by our current life, broken by what's happening, maybe it's broken by health or you name it. We serve broken, all of us, even those of us that seem well put together. There's some break in our world and God still uses us. Because he is displaying his grace and his glory and who he is through broken vessels. I think of Corinthians when it says, And we have this treasure. If you read it in King James, it says in earthen vessels, but in other versions, it says, And we have this treasure in jars of clay, cracked (laughs) pots. We are cracked. Jars of and they were cracked. And so I like to say God uses cracked pots. Some of us are cracked pots, but God uses cracked pots to hold and display his glory. And sometimes, yeah, it does leak out as we are messy, but it's God. But this last thing, God sometimes interrupts Another point, God will interrupt our world to bring about his plan. Mary had no intention of being embarrassed, of being put out there, of being misunderstood. Joseph, really, it's, it was God. This, this baby is of the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine her trying to have that conversation? <laughs> Yeah, this is God, all right. Right, right. What's God's name? But understand, but she had not known that God was dealing with the other side of it, but he didn't. De- See here, here's what my plan would have been. My plan would have been okay, God, can you talk to Joseph first before you talk to me? Before you start this thing happening? God started the pregnancy and didn't talk to Joseph yet. God, you got your plan twisted. Can you go and talk to him first so that when I start showing and, and, and when I come to you with the news, you're like, what? I, I know we haven't been together, so you got to help me out, Mary. God didn't do that. That was his choice. That was his sovereign plan. And Mary trusted him through it. It seems like he put Mary in a bind. And Mary trusted him. Some of you, God has allowed things to happen that seems to put you in a bind. Or to put you out there. Or maybe bring some things towards you that you thought were shameful or hurtful. God's point was not to try and hurt you. He is developing his plan through you. And boy, that's what he did and what he was doing with Mary. And so God sometimes will interrupt our world as he is fulfilling his promise. When he uses us. For some of you, he has called to do things that you had no intention of doing. And he has taken you from places and and brought you to new places. I'm telling you, my plan in my life was not to leave Brooklyn And to come to Indiana, I love this place and I love you guys, but you were not on my map. I was New York City, do or die, and then I met a girl. And really, God had me meet a girl and introduce me to a part of the country that we didn't know existed. That's really not true. That we didn't think of their existence, our little arrogant New York self. And yet God opened up a whole new world of his ministry and grace. It wasn't my plan. It was his. He interrupted my world. And I'm so glad he did. And for some of you, God would interrupt your world as he is carrying out his plan. Are you going to get over being mad? and do like Mary did and lean in maybe it didn't work out in that way you wanted that, that job that, or maybe he called you out or maybe he put you in a place where you were heavily needy God I don't want to be this needy what is God doing hmm. if he can sovereignly take his hand through all time and work out the savior of the world Can he, through the Savior of the world, work in you? Can he? And then lastly, he brings about God accomplish his plan of salvation. At that last part in Luke, this is what we hear. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. Can you imagine what Mary must have been thinking when she heard these words? And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. God would put a ruler from the line of David on the throne again. And then this is what God ends with it in 33. And he will reign over the house of Jacob. This is fulfilling prophecy. Forever, forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. This king will never give up nor lose his throne. Death won't even keep him from losing it because he will be resurrected. See, the issue becomes God says, I have every bit of sovereign power to accomplish what I said I would. Do you trust me? to lead your life. I wrote down two questions at the end for us. Will you trust him with your life, seeing his sovereign hand at work over the ages? Will you trust him with your life, seeing his sovereign hand at work over the ages? And then, next question, I'll read it twice so you can get it. Will you trust his commands and demands of you? So, will you trust his commands and demands of you, seeing how he dealt with Mary? Look at how he dealt with her. See, his timing was different from hers. I would have wanted God to preempt some things first so you minimize, God, my embarrassment. So you minimize me being put out there and people misunderstanding me. God, I know you called me, but boy, that calling looks pretty crazy when I start talking to people. I know you want me to do something, but it seems pretty nutty when you've not told anyone else this, just me. And God says, do you trust me? Do you think I can handle your life? If the answer is yes, what is in store is what God has intended. I can't tell you you're going to have this great life. I don't know that. I mean, great meaning you're known and you're spoken well for all the great things you're doing. I don't know that. Your life may be ordinary from a human perspective but extraordinary because you are walking in the approval of God. And when you end, you will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Can I throw something in for you? You'll find it very difficult as you look through Scripture to see where God commands you to be successful. But what you will find regularly in Scripture is God commanding you to be faithful. Faithful is successful because you are accomplishing what God wants. You know what? Faithful sometimes leaves you alone and no one recognizing except the one which in whom it matters. So my question is for us today, are we going to trust God God fulfills his prophecies and his promises. Next week, we're going to look at the parents of the Savior. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much, Lord, that we get to...